Welcome to episode 288 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode of the Design Details. This is a very, very special one for me because this is the first episode in months that I don't have a handheld mic. (laughs) So if I sound a little bit more chipper, it's because I got two hands doing all sorts of things. I've got one on the keyboard. I've got one one on my beverage. Uh, Just so many things to, to do, you know? It's great. (laughs) <laughs> game changing now i know how how you've been so good the last few weeks yeah but that's that's because you're in your new digs. In new digs we moved in uh began the process on friday i guess it's come out wednesday so last friday and we are unboxing and uh we are about to how do you pronounce it konmari we're about to throw away a lot of shit <laughs> <laughs> spark and joy, spark and joy right. coming in hot yeah you sent me a picture it looks like you're right in the middle of hell this is like the worst part of moving where everything is still in a box and you're walking through yes. paths between those uh-huh. boxes can't go anywhere nothing yeah, feels no. comfortable yeah i feel you have fun thanks hopefully uh we'll have some good progress by this time next week but in the meantime we've got a good episode coming up we have a lot to catch up on from last week's behind the curtains episode we got a lot of feedback yeah and we have some news to talk about and and of course cool things so before we get into that we want to talk about our sponsor abstract back again this week to change the way that that you and your design team work together yes thank you to abstract for sponsoring this week's episode abstract is a design workflow management system it helps empower design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage version and collaborate on design files so the problem that abstract is solving right now is that Today, design teams, you work on a bunch of different versions of the same file, and a lot of times you end up duplicating your efforts, and as a result, you end up overwriting each other's work or losing work, and it sucks. So uh, because you're still spending a frustrating amount of hours searching for files and exporting them and importing them and all that stuff, consolidating feedback from multiple sources, you never really know what changes have been incorporated and what's exactly been approved. So Abstract looked to the engineering world to solve some of these problems because it turns out software engineers have solved a lot of these problems decades ago. And is there a company that, that you know about? That is <laughs> there's solved? one company you might have heard of called GitHub. And GitHub has solved a lot of these collaboration pain points for developers. And the Abstract team looked to GitHub and said, why don't we just have the same thing but for designers? So they built that. That's a good idea. We should do that oh, too. Oh yeah, that's a pretty big uh, successful product. Let's let's try it. So Abstract is like GitHub, but for designers. It's your team's version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It brings together your design workflows into one unified place, not only for you and your design team, but it's also for your developers and for any other stakeholders in your company so you can collaborate and keep working to keep your product moving forward. It's end-to-end collaboration uh, from designing to storing files to requesting reviews, collecting feedback, even presenting work. And then when everything is ready to go, you just hand that off to a developer and they get the spec for the thing that you actually designed. And all this is on a single product that works both on and offline. Yeah, and beyond assisting with just file management, Abstract is great for improving collaboration between your team and increasing transparency between the designers and the engineers that are building those designs. In just the last couple of years, Abstract has acquired over 100,000 users. Those users work at companies like Intuit and Zappos and MailChimp and thousands of others across 75 different countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. So as the line between designers and developers and product managers continues to blur, Abstract is there to create a more collaborative and open platform that's going to enable faster production cycles, enable communication and collaboration, and just make 
that handoff between designer and developer that much simpler. Today, Abstract is working seamlessly with Sketch, which is the design tool of choice for many product designers. In fact, for 1 million product designers, as we learned this week, some million folks out there using Sketch, y'all should be also using Abstract. And in 2019, Abstract is going to continue rolling out support for additional file types from the Adobe Suite to beyond. Who knows what's next? So there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot that's already been built that you should be using today. And all of that lives at abstract.com. Go sign up today. They have a 30-day free trial for you and your team. That's at abstract.com. Go check it out. Thank you so much again to Abstract for making this episode possible. Thanks, Abstract. All right, Marshall, we got some follow-up. Yes. Uh, Last week, we pulled back the curtain talked about the the podcast itself, asked people for some feedback, and... There's a little green man back there, a little bald, mustachioed green man pulling pulling levers, making smoke heads happen. An unsettling image, to be sure, Uh, but we got (laughs) feedback. We got lots of emails and direct messages and tweets. Let's do a quick follow-up on what people said. Yeah, boy, oh boy, y'all were great about giving us feedback. And it was uniformly positive, which I find a little sus. I don't know. I don't know about you. Brian. Yeah, we wanted more negative feedback. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, I was like, beat my head in. I mean, it's great to hear good things. And so I feel like a lot of the things that we're hoping people liked, we've gotten a lot of positive reinforcement that yes, they do like those things. I'm just worried that the people who don't like the stuff were worried to say that they don't like it or that they've already gone and weren't around to say that they like it. Or had already moved on, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They didn't hear the question, so they didn't answer. Uh, It seems worthwhile to call out a couple of the points that people mentioned specifically for us to improve upon because that's where we're going to hopefully see the most mileage, yeah. For sure, yeah, there's there's still action items in here, which is good. So I think one of the, the bigger, and actually turned out to be a divisive point, was about whether we should be interviewing more people. And I think there's a good chunk of people who miss the old format, or at least the some of the stories that were told when we had people on, or the third opinion on the topics that we talked about. And when we switched to the new format, we said early on that we would have interviews interspersed. We've only done one. And it seems like people are noticing that we sort of missed that middle ground. Like we've we've just gone completely to not doing interviews. So here's some more behind the scenes. It's hard to find people to interview. Well, it's not hard to find people to interview. It just takes a lot of work to set that yeah, up and, <laughs> and find a time when you can all you know, get together. <laughs> we also very busy. Yeah. Also, the last four years of the show have exhausted everybody. You've interviewed everyone. Well, not everyone. Not true, but a lot <laughs> yeah. of people. So I think that one is a little bit divisive, but I think it's clear that we should keep looking to do more, but we'll keep them interspersed so that people who don't like the interviews can skip them. Or the people who don't like the interviews can at least skip that segment. So maybe they're still into you know, the follow-up and news and cool things, but they just want to skip that segment. So hopefully that'll... Yeah, the previously the, the interviews were just like, tell us about yourself and tell us about your story. And it was, it was mostly just a me in an hour speech. But I think it would be interesting to include that person. Yeah, do some of that stuff, but, but also in, include them in listener questions and include them in like design reviews and stuff like that. So that it's not just the two of us saying our relatively unmoving opinions on yep. things. So it's not, and it's not just an interview, but yeah, I, I think there's totally easily a middle ground there. It was like, we could do more and not piss off the people who want fewer interviews or like that there are fewer interviews, but would also make people happy that want more interviews. Yes. So that's an easy one. We can do that. 
Brian, you're the interview uh, interviewee person. So have fun scheduling people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that I think that'd be fun. Plus, there's also certain topics that you and I are just undoubtedly not qualified to talk about, or our opinions on them just don't matter as much as as talking to the person that's actually facing some of those problems. For example, one of one of the topics that we know we want to talk about soon is what is happening for older product designers right now. And even though Marshall is sort of like a grandfather figure to me, uh, <laughs> uh, we do need someone who is actually perhaps experiencing what it's like to be in their 50s and working on social apps at a major tech company. Like, what is that like where all of your peers are 20-year-old college grads? Um, it must be weird, and we want to know more about it and figure out what's going on. And obviously, we can't talk about that yet, so... Well, we'll find people to talk about. But it is in both of our futures. Yeah, yeah. So it's something we're interested in. So let's in. prep and, and maybe other people will, will want to prep as well. So as you can imagine, it's a little difficult finding that person though, because like, hey, we're trying to find an old person. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, I've taken so many like tolerance courses on like cognitive bias and unconscious bias and ageism and sexism and racism and all these things that like I'm super sensitive to like bringing up the age thing with somebody even if it like especially if it means like hey the reason we want to interview is because you're yeah old. imagine that email hey you look old enough to talk about a topic where we want to know about what it's like to be <laughs> older than everybody else how's that sound how does that make you feel hey grandma grandpa what's it like <laughs> what was it like when you were our age? <laughs> tell me about the good old days <laughs> It's just a hard question to ask, but I think it's a valuable thing to get. So hopefully we'll, we will find someone in short order and bring that episode to you because it's something we've been talking about for a while. Uh, it seems like overall we had uh, some pretty positive, I mean, it was positive feedback on, on the new format overall. I think some people mentioned that maybe it feels like we jump around between segments a little bit too much or that the segments are a little too inconsistent. By design, but By true. design, not only to keep it interesting for us, but also doing the same thing every week would be really hard because some of the segments are like app reviews or, or news. And some weeks there just isn't much news. Well, there's the question of the length of the episode. So Frederick writes in and says that uh, he's basically okay with shorter episodes because he listens to them while he's walking to university. So anything that's too long he won't be able to finish on his walk. So that's an argument for shorter episodes. But we also have arguments for longer episodes. Yeah, Michael Harrington said in all caps, do two hours, you cowards. So Michael, <laughs> <Challenge> <laughs> maybe one accepted. of these days we'll get one of those two hours <laughs> on the books. Yeah. Hey man, if you, if you looked at the, if you count the, the chatting we do beforehand, and all the stuff that gets cut out. Uh, each episode is probably close yeah, to two hours. We've been talking for two hours at this point uh, before we started recording. So, mm -hmm. okay, length. And then, of course, I think the last thing that just resonated with people is it's not obvious what the episode is going to be about based on the title. And it doesn't seem like enough people click in to read the, the snippet preview that we have, which I totally get because I don't do that either for any of my podcasts. I only read titles. So... We need to be better about that, yeah. It depends on your podcast player, like if it surfaces those descriptions. Some of the interfaces have more more of that description available, but yeah. We know that one of our biggest app or download sources is Pocket Casts, and they do not surface it in an obvious way, so. And the other one is Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure. I stopped using it a while ago. So more clear titles. Uh, we heard that loud and clear, and I think that's probably just good sort of practice anyways for for the type of show that this is is to be a little bit more explicit the day of wild ass titles is over wild ass wild ass titles would also be a good title though <laughs> i know that's the thing it's like we say 
like listening back or in the moment or like oh that's a pretty funny episode title yeah. we should use yeah. that and then uh it's cool in the moment but not so great afterwards yeah. when it hits the backlog then people are like I don't know where to start. <laughs> Bask in the awkwardness? What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So let's let's wrap up this. I think overall, overwhelmingly positive. We appreciate the feedback. We would love to have heard, I guess, a little bit more critique than than sort of, you know, glowing uh, positivity, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, we if you have more feedback for us, please don't hesitate to send us a message or an email. We will continue reading those. We didn't get to reply to, to a bunch of people because we just kind of wanted to, to sort through all the feedback and gather our thoughts before replying to anyone. But, you know, we, we read everything. So if you sent us a note, we really appreciate it. And if you still have thoughts for us, please send it. We will continue reading those. And uh, we have a lot of things that we need to keep working on. I think it seems clear that there's also other things that we could be doing, you know, sort of on our own, Marshall. I think we didn't really get feedback on other ideas around uh, like marketing strategy like which sounds bad but like you know how often do we talk about the shows in what mediums do we share them should we be doing other types of content creation i think kevin gutowski brought up a good point on on our uh the spectrum thread for this ep- or for last week's episode you know saying I, I miss the old live streams i miss the the t-shirts and the merch and like feeling like i could connect a little bit more with the show so totally agree kevin at this point we're just trying to figure out the right sort of way to get resources for that and also for us to have the time to do some of those things but i agree that those were very fun back in the day the inspect live streams were really popular and those would be fun to pick up at some point just a little bit of like a alternate way to talk about design with with people who listen to the show and and want to talk about design so we'll figure some of this stuff out yeah but it was it was great feedback everybody who wrote in much appreciated really that's that's that was awesome of you to take time out of your day to help us so much appreciated we also put out a little poll last week yeah i followed through on my promise i put out that poll and we got a lot of votes i was actually really happy with this one so how do you say how do you pronounce f-a-v-i-c-o-n the correct way favicon <laughs> the, the correct way for 60 percent of you <laughs> yeah yeah 59 Roundup. The interface for for putting a poll on Twitter alone only allows you to have four options. So I tried to cover as wide of a spectrum of different pronunciations as I could. And all of them, the interesting thing is that none of them were zero. Like the lowest percentage was seven. And that was on Favicon. Favicon. Yeah. But so the four I provided were Favicon. That was 59%. Favicon. That's 20% coming in at number two. Coming in at number three is favicon i don't know if that's like favicon. a a regional pronunciation kind of a thing like maybe it's fa- favicon right because because all these faz could be read as faz depending on yeah. where you are and the last is favicon uh which i thought would get the fewest i i put them in <laughs> descending order of what i expected to be the vote tallies and that's exactly what happened so 59 20 14 and 7 for those uh well there's a link to in the Show notes to this poll. You can check it out Some for yourself. Some of the replies were actually very good as well. Andy Ingram says, uh, you, you don't pronounce it like an American. And then he said, favicon. And then... I'm <laughs> guessing that's favicon. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to read that out loud. Um, somebody replied, wrath of con. Kind of makes sense. <laughs> con, yeah. Somebody posted a book cover for what looks like some sort of, I don't know, maybe Swedish, some sort of Nordic book called Favikin? 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 I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of this right. Mm -hmm. By Magnus Nielsen. So don't know anything about that, but uh, nice little, yeah, thanks, David Yang. So good tweets there all around. Yeah, but thanks for for participating in that. I'm I'm hoping to do more polls. Yeah, that was fun. 
that was fun. It got it got more interaction than I expected it to. So appreciate appreciate the input on that. And it's nice to know I'm saying it the way most people say it, at least in my region. Regionally, you are regionally correct. Sixty percent. Cool. All right. That's it for follow up. What about some news, Brian? Yeah, that's it for follow up. Uh, we got some some news. Some things happened that are new. So quick news. Uh, this one was surprising for I think a lot of people, but Sketch announced that they're raising twenty million dollars in a Series A fundraising round. So for those who don't know, <laughs> Sketch has been around for a while and they've never raised money. And we've had people from the Sketch team on the show in the past. We'll have links in the show notes, but including Peter Envlay, who's the founder. And they were very vocal about the fact that they never raised money. And we kind of learned why. So we learned in this uh, announcement that not only did they raise money, but they said that they have 1 million paying customers, which we don't know what that exactly translates into uh, as far as revenue goes. But we do know that right now they're charging $100 per year for a single license. And then there's some bulk discounts and then there's some education discounts. And then maybe there's some legacy users uh, but a million paying customers is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's many millions of dollars in revenue. Millions of bones. So that's interesting news. And I wonder, you know, we've we've never really gotten that sort of insight into other companies like the framers, the figmas of the world. Like how many people are actually using those? How well, we know abstract has a hundred thousand. We know abstract has a hundred thousand. But yeah, I think overall people are a little more secretive about this. So it's interesting to get a sense of scale. Like I never actually had a sense of scale of how many designers had a need for something like Sketch. I figured we're a relatively small community. Yeah, I figured it would be in the hundreds of thousands. So hearing that they have a million, we got to assume Figma has some number there. Uh, Adobe XD probably has some numbers. I don't know. It's still relatively small, low millions. But uh, what Sketch also announced is, is two more things in this post. So the first is team collaboration and this is, of course, overlapping a lot with what companies like Abstract and InVision are doing. And we know that InVision has millions of users. They talk about this on their marketing page. So that seems clear that there's going to be a lot of growth moving beyond designers. Like they have to start thinking about the entire product design lifecycle. It's like PMs and engineers and executives and your design manager all of these people should have sketch licenses. You know, that's the road to growth, especially if you're raising money now and there's there's expectations attached. And then the last announcement is that they are going to be bringing sketch to the browser starting in late 2019. Marshall, does this surprise you at all? No, I mean, this is, I, I don't know much about uh, these companies, but it always kind of was in the back of my head of like, well, sketch will probably buy Figma at some point, right? Or vice versa, you know, those will become the same thing. But the the idea that they're going to do their own competing version is is very interesting to me. I like I like competition. Competition you know. is good for all of us, and I'm sure the teams at all these companies are very excited now to know that okay, Sketch is no longer going to be sort of letting everybody sit on top of their API as far as collaboration goes. And it seems as though if we're reading between the lines, Figma's philosophy of browser first has probably turned out to be competitively compelling enough to make sketch say we need to catch up that's surprising to me that actually browser first is is doing that and my my suspicion is that their figma has discovered that there are perhaps a multiple of this size audience that are on windows devices and if figma works on a browser, ah. they can sell to Windows users and Linux users yep. and Chromebook users and all these people. And that's that's millions of people. Yep, that's compelling. Yeah, don't have to download an app. 
using a friend's computer. Oh, here, let me get this file. Makes a ton of sense. And I think it's interesting. Like the the reason that I love competition like this is like they're going to make each other better. Yeah, right. Hopefully. Like there's going to be a race now, and and each is going to get better because they're going to try and leapfrog the other. Which is good for it us. It is good for us, the end user. So that's news. If you actually want to hear more, probably deeper discussion about that, the good fellows over at Layout talked about that in this week's episode or, or perhaps last week's episode when this comes out. So Kevin and Rafa talked about, among other things, they, they dig into what they think the sketch funding announcement means for the world of design tools. So we'll have a link to their episode in the show notes. Go check out Layout and hear what uh, Kevin and Rafa have to say. So that's it for news. Marshall, we have a listener question this week. Among among all the DMs of feedback, we actually got somebody asking uh, an actual question. So let's dig in. So Sylvia asks, I'd love to get advice on how to present my design rationale to others and ways I can improve rationale overall. I find that I do have reasons for the design choices I made, but when I'm presenting, I can't seem to put those uh, reasons into words. Great question. How do you articulate why you did the things you did? So... Everything you do should be based on user research and testing, in my opinion. Because the thing that you think is good and that makes sense to you as a designer does not make sense to other people. You can make it simpler. It's not simple (laughs) enough. These are the things I've learned. If you think you've dumbed it down, not to use it in a bad way, but like if you you think you've dumbed down a flow enough, you haven't dumbed it down enough. Like for, for everybody to get it, like it needs to be so simple and straightforward and obvious and your first draft will not be that good. I guarantee it. Mine aren't. <laughs> so uh, everything you do should start off before you even touch anything. Like you should have critical user journeys, CUJs. You should have those in mind for what you're trying to accomplish from the perspective of the user. Give me an example. What's a critical user journey that you would start designing around? Okay, yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, you can, get, you can get fancy with it where you say, I am a such and such, and in order to accomplish such and such, I need to do such sure. and such, right? But it can be simpler than that. It can just be, uh, if it's a messaging app, it can be, I want to send a message. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right? Like that, like that's simple. Like, I want to send a message. I want to see that I've received a message or... It, you could come up with like 20 or so of these. You should probably narrow it down to like a core set of 10 or no more than 10. But having these critical user journeys, it will keep your, you focused on exactly what you need to be building. And those journeys should be derived from research you do before anything else. So you figure out what your customers want, expect, and look for. You just because none of them will tell you exactly what they want. You kind of look at all that information and you go, okay, it seems like people want to send a message. They say it different ways, but really what they want to do is they want to send a message and they want to know when someone has messaged them, et cetera. So you set up your CUJs and then you design something to satisfy all of those journeys. And and once you think you've got that good, then you bring it back to the people and you say, is this good? Can you complete this journey? And then pay attention where they get caught up, where they don't understand, if they're able to complete it successfully, if they think they've completed it successfully, but they haven't, all of these things, pay attention to that, and then you do it again. You reiterate, and you figure out exactly what we So by the time that you go to present this to people, you know exactly why you've done the things you've done, because the users told you, either directly or indirectly, that that's what they needed. Yeah, I think the answer is embedded in that last sentence there, which is, it sounds like you're saying you don't have to necessarily present the reasons because the user feedback itself is the reason. For example, if a user says through through a test, this solves the problem, then you no longer have to like provide, 
I, you, you don't have to present, I think this will solve the problem because you say this solved the problem and we heard from it from this person who, who had this, you know, issue for, for months. Yeah. And you should have plenty of artifacts of these things, whether it's uh, notes from the interviews or, you know, videos from these, you know, participant studies. But regardless, like you should have some artifact that you can go through and then beforehand, like make a deck. I'm not sure exactly how you're presenting your work, but like I found that putting all of my work into a deck not only allows me to present it concisely and share it around to anybody who wants to see it, but also it allows me to think ahead of time and I can really hone down exactly what I want to say and reference those artifacts and make sure that each slide is concise and shows the solution or the problem, whatever it happens to be. And it's clear. And, you know, I don't even have to be there to present the deck that people can understand it just from reading it. Although you shouldn't have too many words on any given slide, but that's a whole other conversation. As you listed all that, it was like, this sounds so much easier. Well, it is easier said than done. It's like, oh, go, go, you know, paint a beautiful painting and just make sure that the the canvas is flat and, and it has a nice frame around it right? Super simple. Uh, but in, in practice, obviously, this stuff is hard. And getting that feedback and putting in the time to have the artifacts and among your hundreds of artifacts, picking the one or two that tells the story in a most compelling way, that's hard work. Yeah. Or distilling it down to yeah a few different concepts. What about, uh, I think some of this stuff is easier to rationalize if, if there's metrics attached to it. And maybe every design change needs metrics. But I guess I'm wondering if this process changes at all if you're doing more qualitative design work versus quantitative like this thing it works but it doesn't feel very good i don't know does it always tie back to metrics like it doesn't feel good and we see results from that like visual yeah, visual I mean, polish sentiment. icons okay yeah sentiment that's a good one yeah sentiment is something you should definitely be tracking in as a metric in itself yeah are there times where the design rationale might not be based on user feedback like the product is too early or you're designing a feature that's completely new and maybe you haven't shown it to enough people and you are presenting this to people to get buy-in to like continue pursuing it. How do you, how do you rationalize that or articulate that rationalization if you don't have production metrics to back it up or your team can't afford a researcher and you're kind of just flying by the seat of your pants thinking like, well, we think this is what people want, but we're not really sure this feels maybe like the right direction how do you what happens if you're in that situation yeah that's tough i don't know i don't know the answer to that question to be honest i I mean ultimately i think i would say that researchers are are a plus i think they're necessary (laughs) i think you should definitely have a researcher but if you don't you kind of have to rely on your gut you have to rely on first off the knowledge that you are it's not as simple as you think it is like get that in your fucking uh, soul <laughs> like because it's the thing that is true and you might not have learned it yet but it's fucking true so it's not simple enough yet so keep making it better even before you know during the first draft yeah and stick to your stick to those design principles that we've talked about on the show before I think for from my point of view or like something that I've found to be useful in the past was if you have to design something where nobody could possibly know the right solution and collectively you're trying to make a best guess, the best thing that you can have done is put in the work to try every possible gut reaction that people in the room are going to have because like the PM will say, I don't know, I think it should feel like this. And then if you can reply to that and say, I thought the same thing, I'd mocked it up. Here's a quick screenshot of what it looks like if we went that direction. And here's why I don't think that's the right direction. 
you win. And and that's very, very hard to do because you have to put in the work and think of get beyond your first inclination, try and come at it from every every person who you're presenting to's point of view. Uh, but then yeah, having that organized, like, you know, yep, I've tried that version, I tried that version, tried that version. And the reason that none of those work is X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's funny. A coworker was talking to me the other day and he was talking about another coworker about this exact thing where, where they're in a meeting and she was proposing a thing and he was like, well, uh, what about this? And she went into like the hidden slides, like in her appendix at the end of the deck and was like, oh, yeah, here's what that would look like. And here's why yes. it wouldn't work. Oh, okay. And she did that a few different times. And every time somebody brought up a thing, well, what about this? She had an example and it blew all their fucking <laughs> minds. Yeah. Enough for for one of them to come and be like, hey, this was crazy. It was really good. What a way to build trust among a team. Then what better way than for everyone to just know that you've exhausted the possibilities and what you're presenting is the result of that exhaustion. Uh, If you can do that consistently, you're going to start getting a lot less questions, which maybe is (laughs) a double-edged sword, but... Fewer questions. Oh, boy. Yeah, but I agree with you. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Thanks. I'll take it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but it, the, the interesting thing about this question is it doesn't imply scope, right? I'm, I'm interpreting it to be like a feature, not necessarily an entire product, or I, I don't know, I, like, or is this just one pattern that you're talking about? Like, the PM thinks we should use tabs. I think we should use a segmented, segmented controller, and so-and-so thinks that we should use chips. Like, what's the right decision here, right? Well, mock those things up and like, here's here are what the implications would be if we use chips or tabs. It should really be a segmented controller or whatever it happens to be, right? That's a very finite conversation. Whereas if it's like, we're building this entire new feature and what should it be? No one's ever done it before. And here's why we think it should be this way, right? Yep. And that's I think that's where research comes in. I think you can rely on your gut and principles and like precedent of pattern, for those smaller conversations, but yeah, if it's anywhere bigger, I, I mean, you, you and you can do research yourself too. Like, <laughs> read up on it first because it's a uh, people get PhDs in that shit. It's not a simple, it's not a simple subject, but it doesn't stop you from finding your users and and talking to them and and structuring it in such a way that you come away with actionable knowledge. You know, and you know, I think I don't know your situation, Sylvia, so this isn't projecting onto you in any way, but if a designer is on a smaller team that has fewer resources and doesn't have a researcher and doesn't have as as much time or exposure to to users those are like legitimate things that happen to teams all the time i think it's okay to say you don't have a rationale for something or that your rationale is very surface level like if someone says why did you why did you place this button in that that one position i think in certain contexts maybe you'll disagree with me marshall here but i think it's okay to say look, this was my first pass and uh, I put it there because it seemed like the obvious choice. If that doesn't feel right or if, if we learn later that it's not the right choice, uh, you know, we'll correct it. But for now, can we just assume that this is like the best first pass that, that we can come up with? What I'm, I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to make up a rationale if there is none. <laughs> yeah, your, your willingness to admit agnosticism, yeah. right? Like your, your willingness to admit that you don't know when you don't know will make your conviction when you say you do know that much stronger, if that yeah. makes sense. Like if, if people know that you're willing to say, I don't, I don't know, I just think this is the best thing, but I don't know. When you say, I do know that this is the best thing, they'll yeah. believe you. And so I don't think that's uh, Sylvia's case because it sounds like she's got her shit on lock. Indeed. Uh, but it's just about finding, finding the right word. So hopefully, Sylvia, it sounds like Marshall's suggesting get 
artifacts, like lean on artifacts more than your own rationale, if possible, especially if those artifacts are numbers and outcomes. Yeah, sorry for that whole preamble about research. I, I'm sure you know all that stuff, but I, I figured I should outline it just sure. to be just to be clear about what should have happened, so that when you go in to to present this stuff, you should have all that background yeah. knowledge, right? But yeah, hopefully that answered your question. If not, let us know. We'd be happy to expand upon it and follow up next episode <laughs> next week on design details. Thanks, Sylvia, for sending it in. <laughs> yeah, previously on yeah. Lost. All right, Marshall. Well, that was uh, we've covered news, listener questions. Uh, let's wrap up with some cool stuff. Lettuce. This week's brought to you by Iceberg Lettuce. <laughs> I want to start this week because I think you went last first last week uh, with your, your washlet seat. Oh, by the way, I do not have an outlet next to my toilet. So going to have to figure that out. Uh, most people don't. I mean, like uh, we had to have one installed. Like who puts an outlet right next to a toilet? That's a great way uh, to set a fire. Japanese. You know? Touche. <laughs> and, and now you and hopefully me. All right. This week I saw this on Twitter, played around with it. It is pretty cool, and as far as side projects go, which I think this is a side project, A-plus for me, and the product is called Tinkersynth, tinkersynth.com. It is a way to create and purchase unique generative art, and basically it is this little fun console that you click around and you make artwork and you control all the variables for that artwork and it creates this nice little canvas of generative art that you can then immediately say, I want this on a canvas at this size, pay for it and mail it to me. It like the end to end journey here is so simple, but actually just the interface itself for playing with artwork is, is really fun. And there's, there's so many little hidden Easter eggs. Like it took me a while to, you can click on most things. You can drag some things. There's a little Easter egg, which I, I won't spoil, but if you click around enough, you'll find a little Easter egg. But yeah, you could play with this for a while. I think I played with it for, I don't know, 20 minutes, and, and it seemed like I kept stumbling across. Oh, you can actually click on this thing. Oh, that's a toggle for this other thing. Oh, I wonder how that thing behaves. Anyways, this is very fun. It is looks like it's created uh, by Josh Camo. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right but fun little, little way to spend some time. And if you want to create some generative art to hang on your wall, this is probably the easiest way you could go about doing it. And you don't even know how, have to know how to program. Just drag some sliders around. It's real pretty. So that's my cool thing. Well done. Cool thing, Brian. That is a cool thing, huh? Yeah. Nailed it. Okay, so my cool thing this week, uh, to follow up from last week's bathroom-based cool thing, Another bathroom-based cool thing. Brian, here's another bathroom hygiene. This has been Toilet Details with Marshall Bach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a plunger. No, I'm just kidding. It's a plunger for your mouth. It's a toothbrush. <laughs> That's what a toothbrush is, right? It's a plunger loosely, for your mouth. Loosely, really. yes. You know, Brian, oral hygiene is no laughing matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I'm not a huge fan of the dentist. I like my dentist. I don't like the dentist. I like my dentist, the character, the personality, <laughs> less so the, the metal sticks in your mouth yeah 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 the experience of the dentist is not super fun i like i like my dentist she's cool but one of the things i love about going to the dentist is is going home with that clean mouth mm -hmm. feel brian you know what uh -huh. i'm talking about and it's hard to get you can't get it with a normal toothbrush and i found this toothbrush that after telling my dentist about it she was like oh yeah the same toothbrush that's the same toothbrush i use it is the philips sonicare diamond clean smart 9500 electric toothbrush white hey philips could you name your shit a little better could you call this like the the philips sonicare 2 version 2 yeah it's well it's the philips 
Sonicare, because Philips makes a bunch of stuff. So Sonicare is the toothbrushes, and then Diamond Clean are these the nice brand of the toothbrushes with like the electric thing, and then the ninety five hundred is the the model. So this toothbrush it has a bunch of amazing features, as as you would expect from me in, in my bathroom things. So first off, it's an electric toothbrush. Electric toothbrushes just clean your teeth better. Facts, right? And the interesting thing is, you don't brush your teeth normally, right? You don't you don't do a forward and back thing or even like circles. It's more like a fucking like it's like a power washer. Basically, you just move the toothbrush slowly around your teeth as it it does the work, right? But the cool thing about this toothbrush, one of the cool things is that it has an, uh, a detection of, it can detect if you're pressing too hard. And it has a little light on the, the butt of the toothbrush on the end that uh, lights up and flashes when you're pressing too hard or if you're moving it too fast. It has a gyroscope in it, right? Or accelerometer. So it knows if you're pushing the, uh, it, it knows if you're brushing wrong, right? Hurting your gums. So it'll let you know it's rechargeable, right? So you don't have to put batteries in it. And the way it recharges is you put it in a little glass next to the next to your sink, and the glass plugs in. And it's conductive, and you just put the toothbrush in the glass when you're done with it. It has a bunch of different heads that can go on it, and this this newest model understands what head you put on, so you can put on uh, a tongue brushing toothbrush, right? So you can uh, brush your tongue off. You can put on one that's for your gums. You can put on one that's you know just regular cleaning. There's another one that's like. Uh, whitening. So if you're using some whitening products, especially for that, I'm not sure what the difference is. And it's got several different modes that you can switch through, but it, it goes to the right mode when you put on a particular head. It's got a traveling case. So when you when you go on uh, when you go on business or when you go on vacation, it's got a case that it comes in. The case charges the toothbrush. So when you put it back in the case, it, it uses induction charging to charge the toothbrush, and it's got a battery in it that plugs in with like USB micro USB or something. And it holds two heads in there. This website could easily double as an SNL skit to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> if this could be an SNL skit from 2012, when they started to have an app for everything, they would have made a skit that said, now your toothbrush has an app. You can watch this app while you brush your teeth. Oh, did I forget to mention there's an app that comes <laughs> this with is parody. it? <laughs> this is parody, and it's it's a real thing that costs a lot of dollars. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I've never had a cleaner feeling mouth every night when I go to bed. It's that dentist oh, clean when I, when I go to sleep, which is really important because I got the Invisalign now, and I don't want to be trapping in junk you know, right, inside the right. plastic between my teeth and the plastic. So it's important to keep my, to keep my teeth clean. As I said, oral hygiene is no laughing matter. What's your uh, kickback on these? Kickback? This ha <laughs> are, are you sponsored by Philips Sonicare? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It's just something, like I, like I said last time, like I have a nice computer chair because I sit in my computer chair a lot. I have a nice bed because I, you know, I have a nice uh, toilet because I, you know, <laughs> like the things that, are, that I use every day, literally, there's this concept of like, the product you're making should be like a, a toothbrush-like product. It's something that your users want to use every day, twice a day, right? And this is literally a toothbrush. It's something that you use every day, twice a day, or three times a day, depending on uh, your your hygiene. And it's important to have a good one. Like, if you do something a bunch, you should make sure that you're doing it well. So you look forward to, to that brush every night? I do. That, that's the thing. Is like, I look forward to brushing my teeth. It's like soothing. And I and I can run my my tongue over my teeth afterwards, and they feel all clean, no fuzziness at all. So good. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to meditate on on this kind of purchase for for quite a while. As compelling. Oh wow, huge discount on Amazon actually. <laughs> Hang on, sixty two dollars off. That's compelling. 
Okay. Well, uh, link link to the uh, Mercedes Benz of toothbrushes is in the show notes. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> important things are important, Brian. Yeah, yeah, they are. I don't know, Marshall. I I really <laughs> I really am gonna have to meditate on this one for a while. All right, I'll I'll share a medium article next time, and it won't be so controversial, Brian. It's funny though because actually I immediately got on board the the washlet, and that one was significantly yeah. more expensive. I think that's yeah, just like like ten times an experience that I could see being a hundred times better than it currently is. And my toothbrushing, this seems like it would get it to be five times better than it currently is. What what kind of toothbrush? Do you have like a manual, like just normal old toothbrush? Yeah, you have a quip, and then it. So I've been on manual for a few oh. weeks now. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. What does your dentist say? Hang on, let me let me dial him in. <laughs> yeah, haven't seen the dentist since I switched back to manual. So maybe it's a disaster waiting to strike. You can't undo uh, gum decay. That's right, Brian. It's important. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone, if you're listening. And if you've pulled up this link, I don't know. Well, okay, so a little bit of background. We're going on too long about this, but this is my second uh, Sonicare toothbrush. I had, like I said, I had the the older one that had the one button. This two button one is an upgrade. But I've, that one lasted, I had it for three years and it was still fine. The only reason I upgraded is because I didn't like that single button cycle thing. And it didn't have the gum pressure yep. sensor, which I thought was important because my my dentist said like, hey, is, do, you, uh, do you always start brushing your teeth in the top right? I'm like, yeah, how did you know that? And she's like, well, your gums are receding <gasps> a little bit here. Like you're, you're pressing too hard. Like, okay. Okay. All right. It's important, Brian. You're young. You're a young it is, man. It is important. All right. You're, but you're not invincible. I just got to think of how I stagger these upgrades. Got the washlet, got the toothbrush. Toothbrush is more important than the washlet. Really? Okay. 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. I would totally get that. It's cheaper and it's more important long term. And I don't have to get an outlet installed. Yeah. I will true. say from, from uh, if we want to tie this back to design in any way at all, I think the... I thought I was like labeling the features that, you know, these are all good design things for a toothbrush. It's fancy, but like, okay. it's, it, it, it improves the experience. Think, okay, so, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to diminish what you just said. I just wanted to call out specifically the the glass being the charger because the old all the old models have like a stand that, that it sits on top of and the stand gets all kind of grimy. And, Ugh. It gets it's nasty. Yeah, it gets all gunky. Has the glass gotten nasty? No, it's fine. I mean, you just wash it out, but it doesn't. It isn't that bad. It's pretty. It's fine, and and it's made of this really nice matte material, so like it, it washes off really. It, the whole thing is waterproof, obviously, right? Okay, it's great, man. Well, links in the show notes, everybody. Oh yeah, I should talk about the app for a second. The the app I've stopped using. I used it for a little bit. It basically is just a guide for like showing you. So uh, here's another cool thing. So it it it. it Forces you to break your teeth up into sections. So you have like three sections on top, like back right, middle, back left, same thing on the bottom. So as you're brushing your teeth, uh, it's doing its normal vibration thing, but it'll change to a little vibration to let you know, move on to the next section. Sure, right? sure. So it stays on for two minutes or whatever, how long you're supposed to brush your teeth for, and it tells you which section to be in. So you're only really focusing on a sixth of your teeth at any given time. So you're able to like really focus on cleaning those instead of like only focusing on the front. If you are thinking like that's the problem with brushing your teeth is you usually think about something else and then you just end up doing the same repetitive motion and then you finish, right? This for forces you to focus on the brushing of the teeth. So the app is like the on on ramp and then you you get the the hang of it. 
Yeah, it's got some gamification to it where you can get like badges or something and it like keeps track of streaks and blah, blah, blah. But Okay, we're back to SNL land for me then. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes sense. Can you share your streaks to Facebook and Twitter? I think you probably can. <laughs> I haven't bothered. The app is like is is like kind of over designed. It's like it, there's a lot of imagery and it's not native at all, but it also doesn't work very well. So it wasn't implemented in a way that was like it, it was it was designed to be non-native, but it was not implemented in a way that made it feel like it was native, if that makes sense. Okay. Um it's not a good app, which is part of why I did it. And also like I know how to brush my teeth. Well, apparently you didn't. <laughs> you do now though. <laughs> you do have to change. I mean, you can't just do the normal brushing motion or circles or whatever. You, you it's a power washer, man. Okay, we've talked about this long, long enough. But I, I thought it was, like I, I rarely bring up something that isn't design related. I guess a TV show every once in a while. Yeah, but. yeah. No, I didn't mean I didn't mean to say that this had nothing to design for. I just was trying to specifically highlight that the charger is very cool. Thank you. All right. Let's wrap. <laughs> okay. That was episode 288. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. Not only uh, if you have more feedback for us continuing from last week, but if you have extra advice for our listener question about providing rationale for the design decisions that you make during presenting, if you have thoughts on the sketch, fundraising, and sketch coming to web, all of these and more, just tweet at us. We love reading those tweets and spectrum.chat slash specfm. Okay. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Yep. Let us know. And until then, be sure to check out Abstract. Abstract is a design workflow management system that empowers your entire design team and all of the stakeholders at your company to manage, version, and collaborate on design files. They've got a brand new domain that you can go check out today and get started on that 30-day free trial. That's abstract.com. Get started on a 30-day free trial for you and your team to upgrade the way that you collaborate and build products together. Thank you so much, Abstract, for making this episode possible. Once again, it's abstract.com. Thanks, Abstract. And uh, Sarah and Drew, oh boy. They deserve a mighty round of applause for this week's episode. Uh huh. If you want more podcasts for designers and developers just like you, go to spec.fm. We got lots of shows, including the uh, Layout Podcast, where they also talked this uh, last week about the sketch news. And and the those two fellows, Kevin and Ruff, are always fun to listen to. So go check them out. That's at layout.fm. And they're also on the Spec Network at spec.fm. Links in the show notes, as always. So that's it. Thanks for, for sticking around. And... I hope through through the 30 to 40 minutes of cut footage we have a little stinger at the end. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's something in Hopefully. there. All right, let's wrap. Marshall, uh, this was great. Looking forward to next week. Good chat. Yeah, I have a have a, uh, a topic in mind for next week. Ooh, maybe a little Ooh. tease. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll start oh. doing that now. A little tease of what we'll do for next week. Coming up on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, Daenerys, no. So what, one thing that I want to talk about is to piggyback off of my toothbrush hygiene from earlier, I want to talk about source file hygiene, organizing your files and plugins that help you do that help you do that and why you should do that, how to do it, little shortcuts and stuff. We're gonna get your files diamond clean, ninety seven hundred. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be good. Cool. All right, Brian. Good episode. <laughs> yes. Bye.
You know what's funny is like I was getting a haircut earlier and they were playing fucking Spice Girls and then they played another song that I thought for sure was Tootsie Roll, but it was just like the beat from Tootsie Roll. It was some other song, but you know, it's a it's in a salon, so like there's a lot of din, you know, it's hard, it's hard to hear the music over all the people talking and shit. But based on the 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 beat, the nineties ass beat, I thought for sure it was Tootsie Roll. I'm like, why the fuck are they playing Spice Girls and Tootsie Roll? Anyways. You know that song nope. Tootsie Roll? Let me see that Tootsie Roll. Never heard it, but I'm glad to know it has a, a 90s ass beat. 